Hi, it's Mark Evans, and you're listening to Marketing Spark, a podcast that features conversations with marketers and entrepreneurs in the trenches. As a B2B SaaS marketer, I'm surrounded by customer metrics, MQLs, SQL, conversion ratios, and click-through rates. At the end of the day, I'm a big believer in conversations. A lot of business happens because you've connected with customers about their needs, interests, and goals. And when that happens, sales are a lot easier and faster. On today's podcast, I'm talking with Mark Killens, VP Content and Community at Drift, the pioneer and leader in conversational marketing. Welcome to Marketing Spark, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you today. Let's start by defining conversational marketing. What is it? What makes it so effective? Yeah, start at the top. I mean, conversational marketing was something that Drift created back in 2016. Uh, it's been around for a long time and has really gained a lot of traction. Conversational marketing allows you to engage instantly in a very hyper-personalized way with your customers and buyers to ultimately create more pipeline and accelerate revenue. The key to it, though, is it's in service of creating a better buying experience, a better digital buying experience with that notion of like personalized messaging, personalized help personalized assistance, if you will, to guide you, guide you through the buying process. So how does conversational marketing happen? I mean, obviously there are chatbots, there are conversations, believe it or not, with real people. Maybe you can define the different ways that conversational marketing happens in the wild. It's another good question. I mean, we, we took a very hard look at what is the structure of a conversation and we boiled it down to three things. And these three things really guide a lot of what, how, a lot of how we build product at Drift, how we teach people to use conversational marketing and sales. Um, what we call this is the conversational framework. And it's three pieces, engage, understand, recommend. So how do you engage one of your buyers or customers, like I said, in a very relevant, contextual, personalized way when they come to your website? We can, we can unpack that if you want. How do you then understand a bit more about them? In the traditional sense of marketing, uh, Mark, it's, it's like qualification, right? Or disqualification. But it's really understanding more about their intent, their motivations, who they are, how are they feeling that day, uh, all of those kind of signals. And you, at the same time, through a conversation, either with a chatbot, an AI you know, virtual assistant, or another human being, live chat, are helping maybe them understand a bit more about your business or what you can offer them in that moment, just like a natural, natural conversation, you know, would, would occur. And then there's ultimately like a recommendation and there might be multiple recommendations through a conversation, but in a lot of these interactions with conversational marketing, they don't last too, too long. So the, the recommendation typically is at the end of the conversation. Um, at least, you know, it's, it's like from a marketing perspective, it's like, Oh, a call to action, if you will. It's like, what's the next best action we can help this person who's visiting our website, looking at something. What's the next best action? Is it to, to maybe go to someone on the sales team? Is it some more marketing type content? Is it, a, is it a support or service type inquiry? How can we recommend and guide them to the next best thing? So if you think about it, just engage, understand, recommend the power in that framework. That's how that's the genesis of all things conversational marketing and sales. I love that framework. I love the simplicity and the fact that it really 
identifies the key pillars when it comes to the customer journey. And I'd like to circle back a little bit to engage because in my business, I position myself as someone who helps B2B SaaS companies attract and engage. But the reality is engaging consumers these days is extremely hard. I mean, there there's a study that suggests that they see 100,000 words or audio or ads or social media a day. So there's so much information coming at them that for a marketer, it's a huge challenge trying to get someone to stop even for a short period of time. Can you elaborate on the link between conversational marketing and engage? Now, how do they work together? How do they allow companies to really pull in a customer so you can start a conversation and get them down the buyer's journey? I mean, to me, like in the way we think about it at Drift, marketing these days is a function of building a relationship and building a strong trust bond, if you will. Like, like I think of it almost as like a chain, right? There's links in a chain. And what marketers should be trying to do is, is add more links to that trust chain, right? And it's, it's, it's a sensitive chain, right? It can break it almost any time with really one bad engagement or interaction. So from an engagement standpoint, what conversational marketing tries to do is it tries to not only empower the marketer, and the salesperson, but the visitor to give them the power to, to give them the power of the, the, the buying process that they want to go through, right? Like they, most people, and some of this comes from our state of conversational marketing survey that we'll talk, I'm sure more about some of this comes from Gartner or Forrester. There's many more people these days that really don't want to talk to sales per se. You know, marketing and sales are some of the least trusted you know, jobs, right, <laughs> out there. So it's even more important to the comment I made just a minute ago, like about the trust chain and how you build that. So from an engagement standpoint, it's like, how do you make that experience, typically the digital side of the experience, feel as relevant and as helpful to each buyer? So from a marketer's perspective, it's flipping the idea of your website to be very buyer-centric and, and understand who's coming to the website. Conversational marketing helps you understand who comes to the website, where are they coming from, and where are they in the purchase journey, the, the, the buying journey, or the, or the customer experience journey, however you want to frame it. So where are they in that? And then what page are they on? So if you take those three, those technically four things, but it's the who, the where, and the what, that's going to help you then start to shape out how do you best engage with this person. But then a second thing has to happen as well. What, what's what our, what our most successful customers do, customers like Adobe, Okta, et cetera, they also then make sure that when one of those visitors comes to the website that we know is either in market or is out of market, but qualified, but might not be showing really, really high levels of intent, they're still going to notify the sales owner, the account owner at the company of that visitor of that visit. And, and it's on then the salesperson to be enabled to know what to do in that situation. If they're free, should they try to kind of jump into that, you know, interaction and engagement and, and reach out in a really human personalized way? Should they follow up the next day? Should they follow up in five minutes? So it's doing not only the front end change management of the, of what they experience on the website from an engagement standpoint, but it's also making sure the back end workflows of how you get your sales team now involved in these conversations that's that's the key mark. It's both sides of that coin. The other angle that I want to ask you about is the fact that I think it's Gartner suggests that a 
customer has done about is about 70 percent down the path, down the buyer's path before mm-hmm. they even touch a company. And they've done their research, they've looked at other websites, they've looked at you know analyst research, they've checked out Captero or G2. So they they're armed with a lot of information. So by the time they hit the website, they're looking for something else or looking for some looking for engagement or something personal and relevant. I guess that's where conversational marketing can really fill the gap, that final 30% that you need a customer to get before they make the purchase. You make a great point. I call I say it like this. Conversational marketing and sales helps the empowered buyer buy. In a nutshell, that's a great way to explain the experience for sure. 100%. Before we move on, I did want to ask you a little bit about Drift. I mean, this is a company that has had tremendous growth, enjoys a very high profile. As I said off the top, they're the pioneers in conversational marketing. How did it get to where it is today? Like, What was that moment where the company realized that conversational marketing was the path to success and provide a little bit, like, how did the company start? What was the original mandate? Yeah, no, the company started way back in uh, 2014, you know, 2015. That was, those are the founding years. David Cancel and Elias Torres, you know, that's, that's when they started it. It was not originally conceived as like, oh, conversational marketing. What, what David and Elias, uh, they're brilliant in many things, but what they're so good at is obsessing over learning from the customer. And we actually have a leadership principle, one of our eight at Drift, that is, that is called put the customer at the center of everything you do. So th- they just take from a product development standpoint. So first like product market fit, then eventually like, you know, go to market fit. But if you talk about product market fit, they take this lens of like, let's learn through quick feedback loops from customers using these different ideas we're spinning up and, and turning into something usable from, from a software standpoint and see what sticks. So they went through a few iterations, um, it started as almost like an HR thing at one point. There was like an annotate tool for like your iPhone app. There's a little bit called annotate, I think. I used it for a little bit. Um, then they they start to realize that messaging. Like so, what they're also really great at, and what we do at Drift is we look at the trends that are out, that are outside of almost anyone's control. It's like what's changed in human behavior, what's changed in how we buy, how we live, etc. And how do then do those things apply in the context of B two B? So there were some massive trends happening, right? The rise of mobile. That's been a trend over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. The rise of mobile really then finally allowed the rise of messaging to occur. I mean, I was using AOL instant messaging, Mark. You know, I'm sure you'd use that. You're smiling way back in the day. But like it wasn't really in in an everyday way you could use it. You had to go to your computer, sit down. Like it was like, you know, you had to meet your house because of mobile, because then messaging uh, platforms and technology and tools were built on top of mobile. It's like, wait a minute, there's a whole new communication paradigm. So that's almost the genesis of like conversational marketing and sales, where it's like everything now is becoming that much more conversational through the power of these digital technologies and digital platforms. And now businesses need to adapt to that because that's how humans are communicating. So that was really the starting point. I'll pause there though. Drift alongside Heinz Marketing did a survey that talked to more than 500 marketers for their insights on conversational marketing. Talk about the highlights, some of the things that marketers told you, some of the things that were were surprising when you talked to these 500 marketers. One of the one of the things that we've seen, and we've done this survey now for three years, so we actually have you know three years of, of data. It's really interesting to see how it's trending in these different directions. We're seeing a more and more we're seeing more and more companies adopt conversational marketing solutions, number one. 
Right. Um, and I really think this this pandemic that we've had to live through, unfortunately, was a trigger point, a trigger event for more and more businesses to use something like conversational marketing and sales because um, they almost had like no choice to. So one of the stats was uh, we asked a question around AI powered conversational marketing, making it more accessible and more invaluable than ever before. How do you feel about that? 82%, four to five people are finding, you know, that type of solution, an AI powered conversational marketing solution to be very valuable to their sales and marketing strategy. Right. So that's like, that's pretty significant. That's gone up a decent amount. Um, and what's also interesting, we talked, we talked about engagement, like about 45% of the people surveyed, and this was like 500 people in this last latest survey. It's a pretty big sample size. Their engagement rates increased over the last 18 months in, pan, in the pandemic. So like, so more people are engaging through this digital buying experience. So how do you mm -hmm. personalize this digital buying experience? How do you make your, how do you make your uh, marketing and sales funnel, if you will, more buyer centric? What we're seeing through this data is more and more people are adap adopting conversational marketing and then conversational selling to do just that. And what's interesting is also is like buyer's expectations. So we ask questions to this audience about like, the actual solution, the technology, those things, but then how do you buy as B2B buyers? So we looked at kind of both sides of this coin and the expectations around quick and personalized experiences from these B2B buyers, mostly managers, directors, and above, those experiences and, and whatnot have grown by 26%, meaning they expect more of them by 26% um, year over year. And an immediate response, so when you're actually reaching out to a vendor, to your point on the 70% mm -hmm. mark, when you're finally ready to talk to a vendor, this is the last interesting stat that I'll share right now, um, the immediate response has grown 64% year over year. So more and more of these B2B buyers and decision makers are expecting immediacy, instant response uh, when it comes to reaching out to a vendor. And if you don't have that, guess what's going to happen most likely? They're going to probably go to one of your competitors or they'll look the other way, right? Attention spans, to your point. I don't know if you asked this question, but I am curious about the disappearance of conferences and the impact that it had mm. on conversational marketing. When you think about it, many B2B companies spent 50, 60, 70% of their marketing budgets going to conferences. Why? Because they wanted to have conversations with prospects and customers. It was the way that it was an easy way for marketers to drive MQLs. The sales guys could nurture leads, could connect with customers and drive loyalty and as important upsells. So what do you think the impact or the correlation was between the decline in conferences, and they may come back soon or not, and the rise in conversational marketing? It's a great question. Um, you know, we've pivoted all of our events to be virtual. Um, we're going to be back in person finally next year. But what we've done is we've integrated with some systems like On24, uh, another up and coming event platform called Goldcast, and put the conversational experience in front of that. So there's, there's like you can make the actual event experience more conversational. But, bef but before you even get them to the event, what marketers have had to do is pivot their channel mix. To your point, like an event is kind of like a channel, right? You can, that's where mm -hmm. you can reach people. Now the channels are going to be much or have been, excuse me, much more like digital based. So we see our customers using conversational marketing within their paid search and social strategy, within their organic uh, you know, search strategy, within their email strategy. Um, those are some great ways you can pair up because you know where the visitor is coming from. You know they're coming from organic search. You know they're coming from an email. You know they're coming from an ex exact paid ad. 
And then you can serve up this really contextually rich conversational experience on your website page based off of, again, like we said in the beginning of this podcast, who is coming to the, who's coming to that page, where are they coming from, email, paid ad, organic, et cetera, and then what are they engaging with? In this case, your question is around they're engaging with an event. Are they looking to sign up for the event? Are they looking to get more information about it? Are they looking for the recording? You can make it super easy to help them find and do exactly what they're looking for with that event. And then furthermore, what the beauty of all this stuff is, is your sales team. We've empowered them the sellers to say, hey, here's all of the people that you normally would have seen at this event. Coming to our website, signing up for the event, attending the event, here's what they did during the event, and giving them, again, those kind of behavior signals, those signals of intent, and being able to still continue the buying, help, help the buyer buy through those, through those data points versus the in-person piece. I mean, so I think, I think it's, it's a combination of both in the future, but it's, it's really making sure that you can provide people, we keep going back to this real-time idea, Mark, the real-time insights into what your buyers are doing. I think the question I was asking was that when in-person events disappeared, conversations disappeared, opportunities to have relevant, contextual, real-time conversations disappeared, and I guess the answer that I'm looking for, did conversational marketing fill the gap? Companies need those interactions. They need conversations. And, and did, did they turn to conversational marketing last year? Well, I, I think they did turn to conversational marketing. That's what the, the, the study said. But you, you, don't, you don't, as a marketer, you don't turn to the solution. You follow the buyer. The buyers shifted, their, shifted how they engage with companies. Instead of going to these events, like I was saying, they shifted to digital channels, digital virtual events, and, and whatnot. And you can use conversational marketing in those channels, with those channels, to create better engagement, create better experiences. So the short of the answer is 100% yes, but I think the best companies, and now what most companies are doing is saying, oh, well, where have my buyers gone You know, because there's no events, and how can I meet them where they are with conversational marketing? Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Drift's approach to content marketing. As the VP of content and community, I'm sure you got a lot to say. First, I'm interested in how Drift's content marketing or its approach to content marketing has evolved over the past 18 months. To me, content has always been king, but there has been no doubt that content has really stepped up as things like conferences haven't happened. Can you provide a little bit of context in terms of how Drift's approach to content has changed? Yeah, it's a timely question because I actually posted something today on LinkedIn, today being the end of October, I think it's actually October 27th for those interested in when we recorded this. But uh, I posted something on LinkedIn that comes from, a, we, we love research, original research at Drift. We find it very insightful. So we did a, another uh, survey to about 100, I think it was like 115 uh, marketing leaders, the vast majority of those people being director and above B2B marketing leaders. So VP, CMOs, director level. And the number one most important thing they say is, is, they say in the next five years that they're like really you know focused on is content marketing. Fifty three percent said that, so half mm -hmm. of it. Um, and they've actually found that content marketing, as it relates to like pipeline um, generation and and the impact on it, went from like number seven on the list last year to this year when we did the survey, it was number one. So again, I think it's this this event that happened with this pandemic, and it's made people realize, well, we need to be more helpful than ever on the digital side of things. We need to stand out somehow. We can't reach people in person. We can't go to the events. We can't go to the dinners. We can't do these field events. We can't do all these things. So how are we going to really, really stand out? And honestly, co content marketing is a differentiator for the brand. So we 
we just doubled down on it. Like we were always very heavy in the content marketing space. Um, you know, I have a deep background in content. I was at HubSpot for eight and a half years. Um, so I know content pretty well. And Drift also started their brand as, as, a, as a very powerful, from a very like powerful content marketing standpoint. What, what I mean by that is early days, what Drift did, David Cancel, and, and, and in this case, Dave Gerhardt, started what I call a great cornerstone content asset in the form of a podcast it's named Seeking Wisdom. And that, that was really one of the ways that also helped us not only grow the Drift brand and, and make it stand out and make it unique, but it also helped us bring conversational marketing to the world through that podcast. Right. You know, we wrote a book on the category, conversational marketing. There's a whole book on it, a best-selling uh, business book on it. We wrote many books, This Won't Scale, as an example. All these different, dozens of different ways of, of how to do marketing that doesn't technically scale, but has really strong ROI. So I think our content game's always been strong. Now it's about, though, really making sure you're smart with your content and, and understanding the spend to impact of your content. So understanding, you know, all this time and money and effort you're putting into your content, how is it really turning into the, the right the right leads, but really the right pipeline for your business. And how are you using content more and more than ever before to drive customer success? So we have a full lifecycle uh, content team here, Mark, and we have three overall content teams, four maybe, but three that focus on the content across the entire customer experience. So pre and post. So that's another thing I think businesses have started to shift to as well during the pandemic. How do you think, how do you make sure the content is consistent across all the touch points? What has surprised you and Drift in terms of how and where people are consuming content? LinkedIn, for example, has emerged as a great place to, to get insight from lots of different kinds of people. But are there other platforms or other ways in which content has been delivered that caught you by surprise or emerged faster than you expected? To me, live streaming is super interesting. I mean, a lot of these platforms have added live streaming, right? Like LinkedIn Live, Instagram. I mean, everyone now has a live streaming component. Um, and a lot of that is, has been born out of the gaming space. Uh, now there's like live stream, like online shopping that's taken from like the TV world, right? Like the almost like the live infomercial, if you will, the live component of content is super fascinating. And a lot of people think, well, like, is like as a webinar content, I'm like, heck yeah, it is. That's what that is content. Like an event at the end of the day is two things. It's like great content. Hopefully it's great content. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a networking experience, right? If it's, if it's more in person, right. But like, you know, from a virtual standpoint, your virtual event over the last 18 months really has hinged on your ability to create differentiated and highly valuable content for the audience. So that's another reason why I think everyone is doubling down on this and realizing if we did do this right and we really have a unique brand voice, we have a unique point of view in the market, we, we have some thought leadership. It doesn't have to be crazy thought leadership, but we have something that is uniquely different. We can use this as a competitive advantage for our business and we can really like use this not only across marketing, but in sales and CS to add additional value to the actual product we sell. And you can charge a premium then, right? And, and you're a premium brand in that case. And that's where content has this effect, I think. On one of my recent podcasts, I talked to Ross Simmons, who's a very well-known B2B content marketer. The thing that he talks about is not just content production, but distribution and repurposing content to maximize ROI. Mm -hmm. What is Drift's approach to those two content pillars? Uh, you have to. I actually have a whole framework uh, called like the content 
repurposing framework. Literally, I, I have this completely laid out for my team. We use it all the time. It's four different R's. It's reuse, refresh, repackage, reposition. Mm-hmm. So reuse, refresh, repackage, reposition. All of your content assets, especially your corner, cornerstone content assets, and I, there's, there's technically, in my opinion, five, maybe six cornerstone content assets that at least we definitely create a drift. We take that into consideration. Um, you know, we do quarterly planning at Drift. We have a, this notion of integrated campaigns that we run, really focused on the audience, the trigger event, what are the goals of the campaign, and then the, high, the highest level messaging. And then we map out offers by channel to get that content, to get that, in, that uh, great information out into the market. So, so Ross's point and your point is extremely important, right? It's like, yeah, you can plan your content, you can produce your content, but if you don't think about promoting your content with deep collaboration with your demand gen or in our case, revenue marketing team, you're missing a significant part of the content marketing game. So yeah, we have these four R's and we use it all the time. It's, it's, it's how you atomize. We kind of call it the solar system strategy. Absolutely. <laughs> Here's a tough question. How does Drift quantify the success of content marketing? Because obviously there's there's the standard KPIs and metrics that marketers and sales teams use. And then there's this whole dark social uh, phenomena that a lot of people are talking about. So when you look at the success of your content marketing efforts, how do you tell whether you're being super successful? How do you tell what's do- what you're doing well and what's not working? What are the different elements that you look at? It's a really good question. It's It's something that's asked a lot. There's two ways at the highest level to think about it, engagement and pipeline. And then what you look in the middle, and I can get into details of of all of these things, but I'll just keep it simple to start with engagement and pipeline. And what's in the middle of those two things is how many of those engagements and an engagement could be a download of a, of a book, a website session, uh, a social media engagement. Uh, We have like literally, I think 80 or 90 different types of engagements that we measure across our content and community team. How many of those engagements, and some of them you can't identify here, but how many of those engagements that you can identify fit into your ideal customer profile? Basically are a quality engagement. So it's it, then you get into like the nuance of like, well, what type of model are you using? First touch, last touch, multi-touch attribution. We have a multi-touch attribution model that looks like that looks at a more tops down view of that model. We also have a bottoms up model. But ours right now is more multi-touch attribution. There's no perfect way to go with that to your point. Like you just got to pick one and stick with it for a little bit and figure it out. But the other thing that I think content marketers fail to measure when it comes from the content, from a, from a content standpoint is how is your sales team and CS team using your content? Mm-hmm. So we have a solution called high spot and we use, and so we actually see like on a weekly basis, we have about 3000 engagements with our content from our sales and CS team members in high spot. That's like 12,000 a month. That's awesome. That means they're using this content to help people buy and, and learn more about Drift and like be successful with Drift. And ultimately what you want to see, you know, is, is your engagements growing quarter over quarter, year over year. And then therefore, if you have your revenue and demand stuff dialed in enough, that should follow suit in many ways. A final question. David Council obviously has a very high profile and he creates a lot of great content, including the podcast, as you mentioned. How does Drift leverage David? How does he manage his time in terms of creating high value content at a time when obviously he's he has other priorities and he's stretched in different directions? You know, what's your strategy, your content strategy when it comes to David? Dave, I mean, David in many ways is like the quasi chief marketing officer, if you will, right? Any CEO, any great CEO should be like the chief salesperson, the chief marketing officer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like right. they're selling, right? They're selling the business. So we do 
as much as we can to support him in that endeavor. So just as an example, there's the big web summit happening in Portugal uh, early November. Next week it is. He's going to be speaking on that, right, at that. So like my team helped him and uh, some someone on our communications team build his presentation. And then what are we going to do with that? We're going to repurpose it. Right. We're going to repackage it, right? So right. it's like, so that's an example, right? We have someone who does ghostwriting to help him take his ideas and really uh, scale them out, right? So I think that's really important. Many companies do that. If you don't do that for your executives now, I think you should 100% have someone that helps them write. They have amazing ideas. They're brilliant people in many ways. And and there's something to be said that a content marketer's job, it might not be the best term, but you're almost acting as a broker, right? You're, you're, you're helping take someone's ideas and wisdom and knowledge and experiences and share them with someone else. That's why I see it, not just with David, but Elias. Elias has this American Dream podcast, an American Dream newsletter. I see that with Katie, our CMO. I see it with anyone who doesn't even matter if it's to be executive level. People at Drift contribute to our content and our customers contribute to our content all the time. That's what a great content marketer does. They actually don't create a lot of the original content. They help in the facilitation of bringing those other people along and, and sh- helping them share what they know and getting it into the right hands. One tactical question when it comes to pulling content out of an executive like David, is it a matter of sitting down with him for half an hour or an hour and saying, what are you thinking? What are your big ideas? What kind of opinions do you have? Where do you think the industry is going? And simply recording his conversations and then repackaging them in a blog post or an ebook or some kind of content asset. Is it as simple as that? They tell you what they want to say and they say it. So you just package it up properly. Is that is that a simple way of, of doing things? One way of doing things. It can be. What we found to be even more successful, and I've seen this at you know both Drift and HubSpot, is get give them something to react to right right? and and then you can ask them some questions about that but like give them something to react to and then maybe you have to come back with something else then and then like that's the basis for like the content and the questions and and what they're going to share with you but that's the tactical thing i think you know give them something and also i mean in our case like we're really leaning hard into the whole whole conversational space conversational marketing sales conversational commerce even and the the leader of the business, you know, is going to have to be the person who really sells the vision, right? And sells what makes your company uniquely different. So like, how do you then organize that within a campaign across your marketing team? So a tactical thing also is like, have a campaign, we use briefs, have a campaign level brief that then can take all the stuff that your executives are saying, in our case, David, and, and use it across these different channels. So like you got, again, to your point about promotion, think about the whole journey in what you're doing with your executive. Don't think just LinkedIn. Yeah, he's got LinkedIn strategy, does things on Twitter, but like, you know, he's got a, he's got a newsletter that we do every, every Saturday called The One Thing. We branded that. You know, we reuse a lot of his Seeking Wisdom podcast content still. So it's like, I, I think you got to take, you got to be tactical in how you approach it, but you also have to like create a plan. Final question, where can people learn more about you and Drift? I mean, drift.com, drift.com, a drift insider. Uh, we like to think of it as like the number one place marketers and salespeople can go to learn. It's a free community. We have a ton of almost everything's, you know, not gated. Uh, you got to sign up for an account to get some of our more exclusive uh, content, some of our more, you know, in-depth courses and classes, but it's all free. Drift insider, drift.com slash insider. And then, yeah, you can just follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter. You can text me. Uh, I got my phone number, 978-226-6965. And you can't call that number. It's only for texting conversations after all, right? And messaging, but shoot me a text. Happy to talk to you. 
Thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Marketing Spark. If you enjoyed the conversation, please leave a review, subscribe via iTunes and Spotify or your favorite podcast app and share via social media. To learn more about how I help B2B SaaS companies as a fractional CMO, strategic advisor and coach, send an email to mark at marketingspark.co or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll talk to you next time.